here, there we go. All right, we are recording. Uh, my name is Jeff, and I'll let everybody else introduce themselves. I'm Cassidy. And I'm Christian. There is a, there's one thing that the three of us have in common. We've all had at least one one-on-one -on -one conversation with Paul Vanderclay on his channel. I think that's a true statement, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Are we under oath? <laughs> I have had one. Yes, everything you say has to be true here. Um, uh, it's funny because uh, we were just talking before we started recording about how there's so many, you know, Paul puts out so many videos that it's hard to keep up. And uh, I'm pretty up to date on all of them. I think I've, I've missed a few. I haven't seen all of his uh, Rough Draft to Sunday videos, but I have, I think, seen all of his conversations or maybe there's two or three that I haven't. But um, it's funny because I um, sometimes I just listen to the conversations. I'm not able to, to watch. And I got to mostly listen to one conversation, although I did from time to time, I was able to look at the screen and see it um, with somebody who I eventually met in person um, through the Discord. Uh, his name is, uh, well, on the Discord, his name is Free Range Tatanka. And uh, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he reached out to me, told me he was going to be down in Dallas, and I, uh, I went and met him in person, and I hadn't realized that I had watched his conversation with Paul until like midway through mine and his in-person conversation <laughs> that he had talked to Paul, and I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't remember seeing it. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of embarrassing for me. Yeah, I like to watch the conversations on YouTube with the video, because um, sometimes I'll listen on the podcast, just his lectures or his sermons or whatever but when it comes to uh like the conversations i'll watch them on youtube because i like to match the faces to the stories mm -hmm. and yeah it's been fun just being on the discord slowly figuring out who all the faces are like within the within the messages I'm like oh yeah. okay there we go <laughs> and some people yeah. have to switch to, to putting their names on there i'm sorry go ahead christian no yeah cassidy was trying to explain to me what the discord was and i um <laughs> I've heard that thrown around on, on PVK's channel. Uh, I, I don't know what that is still. Uh, it sounds like it was like some kind of weird, like, it, to me it sounded like it was some odd segment of like PVK fans, <laughs> like a channel, I don't know. It sort of is, but sort of not. <laughs> it's very yeah. confusing. For a long time, I downloaded it and I'm like, I am not touching this. I have no time to figure it out. In the last couple of weeks, I've been all over the Discord. <laughs> so I think it started as a gamer thing where you can like talk to other people you game with or something. But they started a channel for people, that, I think people from the meetup, right? Yeah, people to, from all Sacramento meetup. Um, Joey yeah. and Tyler and... I'm probably going to forget a bunch of names, but I think James and maybe a few other people. But I think this, it was definitely, um, you know, it's, it's one of Joey's labors of love and it's <laughs> something that he's, he's moving forward with. So I think it's great. Yeah. So it's basically there's different message threads, which I can never keep up with. It's like you wake up in the morning and 103 new messages. I'm like, <laughs> not touching that. But they have like constant like conversations um, just voice conversations that you can just pop in and join. And then Job does a lot of recorded conversations. And I think Esther has done some as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of fun. 
Yeah, have, Christian, have you ever used Slack before? Have you ever used that yeah. app? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a very, it's somewhat similar to the layout of Slack. Um, and I, I can't say which one's better or worse. I mean, I'm pretty new with Slack as well, so. <laughs> okay. But it's, it's similar to that. You know, I, I encourage you at least to go check it out. There's some good conversations there. You can, you can get to know some people who have been on Paul's channel a little bit better um, whenever you find them on there. And I'm sorry, I'm going to have random cats walking across the screen. <laughs> What's new? <laughs> right. <laughs> you guys know if Paul watches these recorded conversations you put on the Discord? Or? He, he does. So I, I have a, there's a channel that I started without even really much intent behind it. And it's just kind of become the repository for us to throw up all of these, you know, group conversations that we've been having. Um, and I know that he does watch them from time to time. Uh, he's, he's commented on some of them whenever he has time and he sees one go in, in there. I've seen him have fun with it before and jump in and try to be the first person to leave a comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I asked is I needed to know if I'm allowed to talk major trash about him. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but I would never do that, Paul, just letting you know. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. Now, Paul's from New Jersey. He can handle it. <laughs> he kind of likes it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Jeff, I don't know. I don't really remember your story at all. I don't know what kind of drew you to, um, you know, the, the YouTube dark web. Um I know Cassidy pretty well. We know each other from from church and, and things like that. So, um, so yeah, can you tell yeah. me about that? So I'll tell a little bit. Yeah, I watched I watched a little. Well, I watched all of your conversation with Paul this morning. I actually listened to it while I was cleaning around the house. But um, to refamiliarize myself, uh, so I grew up. Um, I guess you would say in an evangelical Christian culture, um, and I. <laughs> Growing up in the evangelical Christian culture was a move that I made more towards uh, moderate to left because the very first church experience that I ever had was um, something that I would consider right on the edge of a cult, um, but just barely over the line. Um, like you could leave, people were allowed to leave, but they would never talk to you again if you left. Uh, they weren't allowed to associate with you. And that was actually the church that my um, my mom and her siblings grew up in um and there's still some family that we have that's in that particular um denomination i guess you could call it um whenever i was growing up in it what i remember it's probably until i was about three or four years old that we left but um i remember they wouldn't it was, it was very legalistic um like women could only wear skirts they couldn't wear makeup or i don't think they could wear jewelry but certainly not makeup and they would they weren't supposed to cut their hair um and they would say uh they wouldn't even call it church um because they would say the church is uh, a people it's not a place <laughs> um so they just referred to it you know they would meet on sundays um but they were we wouldn't go to church we would go to meeting that's what it was called um, so eventually we moved away from that. I can't remember, you know, I was young, so I don't remember all the reasons or how that break was made, but it might've been my mom's broader family that also left it too, because we didn't stop talking to my, my uncles or, you know, my, my, um, my granddad on my mom's side, you know, there was still, that was still open. Um, so we moved into a more liberal strand of Christianity, Southern Baptist. 
<laughs> okay, good. I, I love the sarcasm. Here. But, well, it's it is left of what we were in. I will say that. So. <laughs> okay. Um, and then after that, uh, I know we attended like some uh, more Pentecostal type churches. Uh, so that was kind of the environment that I grew up in. Um, we stopped going to church towards um, my, my, my later high school years. Um, we moved around the country a little bit. Um, but we eventually, uh, just as a family, stopped going to church. Um, my parents got divorced whenever I was in my late teens, and so I wasn't really interested in going to church anymore just because I felt like, you know, the... I kind of felt like the things that we were supposed to be doing as a family or the, the things that I had learned from church, the, what you were supposed to be doing, and then just not seeing it, um, particularly in my dad, just kind of disenchanted me a little bit or made me feel a little jaded about the whole thing. Um, but at the same time, you know, I never felt like, you know, God was not in my life, um, that I didn't have some form of a, of a relationship with God and with um, Jesus, I felt like it was it was there from a very early time period. Um, I think I talked about this in my conversation with Sarah when I was four years old. That's when I remember like having a presence that closely approximates to maybe Paul Vanderclay's conception of a God number two type experience, um, where I did feel like it was a presence of God and more spe more specifically, you know the person of Jesus kind of coming to me and asking me to invite four-year-old version of me, <laughs> four-year-old version of me to invite him into my heart. Um, because that was the language that was, that I was familiar with then. And, yeah. um, I did do that. And so I, I consider that, you know, my conversion experience, I suppose. And ever since then, I've never felt like, I have lived a day without God's presence in some form or fashion in my life, even though I have, you know, I've gone through seasons of wanting to ignore God or turn away from God. Um, so that's a little bit of my background. Uh, probably in my, in my early twenties, I, you know, did start seeking God a little bit more and trying to learn more about the Christian faith and try to make it my own. Um, to see, you know, what I believed, what was mine versus what I just inherited from my parents, just from a, a propositional standpoint, I guess, um, you know, confessionally speaking, things that I, you know, intellectually assent to, you know, what do I think or what do I believe? And so I got, I got into, um, I can't remember if it was, this was before or after I started going to church, but um, I started going back to church because I had a coworker that I knew went to a local church and I just one day asked him, Hey, where do you go to church? And then he invited me to come with him. Um, it was, uh, at the time it was, it was about to become a mega church. Uh, it's a church here in Texas that was, um, uh, smaller, but it was, it was like, it was evangelical. It was non-denominational, but it was, they were affiliated with the Southern Baptist convention. I think they still are. I don't know for sure, but, at the time they were meeting like in this, um, this little strip mall business center. And, um, you know, I remember walking in one night to like a, a church finance meeting that was just like open to anybody who wanted to come. And I thought that was really neat, you know, that they would just open their books and, and share that kind of information. And I actually, 
the pastor was just greeting people at the door. You know, this guy is like a very big time uh, pastor now. I know he's been on CNN before. He's talked to um, Dr. Drew, <laughs> interviewed him once, asking him about transgenderism. Um, he's been on uh, he's he's been on TV a lot. His dad uh, ran a big church in um, Houston, Texas. Uh, he's actually the brother of one of the lead singers of a Christian band um, called Cademan's Call. Have you guys heard of that? I no. love Cademan's Call. Okay. Yeah. Um, what was that guy's name? Uh, Derek something. Derek Webb. Yeah. Derek Webb. So is it is it Pastor Webb we're talking about here? No, it's a, it's the other guy. The other. Um, main vocalist in Caveman's Call, or at least used to be. Um, okay. uh, Cliff Young, I think, is the guy's name in Caveman's Call. So it's his brother and his dad are both uh, head pastors. Um, his, they, they're from Houston. Um, and so his brother eventually started a church up here or became a part of a church that had just started up here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And it just, it exploded in the 90s. It's just, it was the seeker-sensitive movement, very similar uh, model to the one in um, the Chicago area, Willow Creek. I don't know. Uh, it's probably very similar to like a Saddleback type church mm-hmm. out in California, if you're familiar with Rick Warren and all that business. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I started going there and it was just, it was just very appealing to me because it was different, I guess, than what I had experienced before. It didn't seem as rigid. You know, I guess it was more, like I said, it was a seeker-sensitive type movement. It was what I needed at the time um, to help me reaccess parts of um, my faith. And so I think it was around that time that I did start getting introduced to like different apologetics-type works. Um, there was a, I think the radio show's still on. Um, I'm pretty sure it is. There was a radio show that I was listening to pretty regularly back then um, called The Bible Answer Man. Uh, a guy named Hank Hanegraaff. I don't know if either of you have heard of him. The name sounds familiar, but yeah, I couldn't but tell you what he did. He's uh, he's he's a talk show host, and he just takes questions, your questions about the Bible, and he'll just answer all of your questions. Um, he used to be based out there in California. I think Rancho Cucamongo. Uh, his studios now are over in, um, I think, Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's interesting, Luke. Uh, who's been on Paul's channel a few different times now, and that I've been on Paul's channel with Luke and Job before. Uh, he he revealed to me, because I, I had left uh, Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible Answer Man, you know, long in my, my spiritual rearview mirror. You know, I had incorporated the things that were helpful. But uh, Luke told me that he's converted to Eastern Orthodoxy. And I just found that fascinating. I was like, no way, not the Bible Answer Man. Uh, so that was, that was a fun fact for me to learn. Um, and that's actually something that I would love to talk about kind of further into the conversation. Yeah. Like, um, because you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to make predictions on where your story is going, but I guess, are you still sort of like in the kind of evangelical Christian, like do you still kind of identify that way or? Yeah. So that was only halfway through my journey to this point, you know, what I've okay. told you so far, cause I'm pretty old, you know, you guys are young. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh yeah I'm in my mid 40s now so I've been dealing with midlife crisis in very fruitful and productive ways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, so yeah I went to church back then. Um, 
kind of related to one of the topics that we had mentioned that we might talk about on this conversation. Um, there was a, uh, Cassidy and I had had a conversation with Julian that we, we just haven't aired, but we were talking a little bit about um, celebrity Christians. And um, there's, a, there's a guy named Joshua Harris who was a part of this thing called the Purity Movement back in the 90s. Um, where it was basically, you know, it was, it was really latched onto by a lot of conservative Christian dom- denominations about, you know, saving your, um, saving sexual relationships for marriage um, and waiting until marriage. And he ended up writing just a very popular book that sold over a million copies uh, that came out in the night. I want to say it was the nineties um, called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, where he basically advocated for no dating at all. Um, and something like a, a courtship model. Anyway, the, I, the point of this wasn't to get into that book, but just to say that there was a documentary uh, that recently came out where he's kind of rethinking uh, some of the things that he talked about in that book. And I know, Cassidy, you've watched that documentary, right? Yeah, I watched it after, because it mentions Joshua Harris. I, I knew the book, but I didn't really know him. And yeah, um, yeah just growing up in more conservative churches, like yeah. I was you know, around that sort of movement and yeah, watching it was so interesting. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think I was aware of like the issues with that, but then watching it being like, Oh wow, that probably affected me more than I thought. And yeah, it's been an interesting, anyways, we don't have to get into that, but it's just been an interesting sort of week processing all of that. Yeah. That, the only reason that I bring that up is because that's, that seemed to be a lot in the culture at the time of the church that I started going back to. Although I was, you know, I was past um, youth age at that time. You know, I was like young singles um, and they weren't, that book was never introduced to me there, but you know, it just seemed to be, to be more of a, a standard or typical Christian approach based on the very conservative backgrounds that I came from where, okay, yeah, I mean, no sex before marriage. That seems to be pretty normal. That seems to be what at least has always been presented to me as a biblical view. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, but I was very, I, I think I was impacted more by just that, that particular type of culture, because even if it wasn't overtly being taught in the particular church that you were in, I think certain segments uh, or ideas in that book were things that had made its way through. Like, um, well, I mean, I think it's even beyond that book. It may have been a culture that just kind of ex- existed in evangelicalism, um, for a while, and it's even extended through today. You know, I'm thinking about somebody like Mike Pence, who you know won't meet with a a woman alone, um, and that's that's not something that is um, unique to evangelical Christian culture. You know, that's that's something that's in uh, parts of the Islamic community as well. Um, and so, anyway, the, the point that I was trying to get to is, you know, I think something like that uh, culture did contribute to just my view, uh, a broader view that I had of a relationship was a part of my ultimate fulfillment, you know, and that, that kind of tied into my own personal story too, where I came from a broken family. And so I wanted to do it the right way. I wanted to do it in a way where I could show, Oh, I can get this right. You know, I can't believe that, you know, my parents, you guys got this wrong. You know, you were, you're Christians or, you know, self-professing Christians and, I just don't understand how this could happen to someone that's a, that's a Christian. And um, so, you know, young, I was looking for somebody that I could marry and I wanted that kind of relationship. And um, 
I ended up, you know, I was, I was like desperately shy as well. Like there were multiple people that I was interested in growing up in school that I would never think to ask out because I didn't want to risk any kind of uh, rejection. And, um, so I would just never say anything. And I was just like, ah, I just want there to be somebody who really likes me and they just make it very obvious and it's just easy and very simple, but I'm too scared to say anything. Um, and so in my, in my mid twenties, that's when uh, I actually tried online dating and I was, I was eventually able to meet um, you know, someone who uh, wasn't going to church at the time, but I was going to that, um, that mega church and uh, you know, I, in my online profile, I just kind of put it out there of how, hey, this is, this is what I believe, you know, this is what I think is important in life and, you know, either believe the Bible or don't, but, you know, either way, just make a decision, you know, do something. Um, and so it was the first time that I had ever shared, you know, um, I guess my spiritual stance at that time with anyone in the world, you know, so I just decided to plaster it for a bunch of strangers to see. And I'm starting to see the echoes of this now as we're doing YouTube stuff. <laughs> but just, I just put it out there and, you know, somebody was, seemed very interested and we started dating and we eventually got married and we eventually got divorced. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, all of this has been a part of my spiritual journey. Um, so I was, you know, I really read a lot of, or I was listening to a lot of apolog apologist, Christian apologetics type works back then. So I'm, I'm familiar to a, to a little bit of an extent with your William Lane Craig's, you know, listening to the Bible answer, man. A lot of that was about apologetics. Um, there's people like Greg Kokel out there. I think that's where I first heard about William Lane Craig. I think William Lane Craig was on the Bible answer man too. So that's how I became familiar with him back then. This was in the, this was in the mid to late nineties that all this stuff was going on with me. Um, and so I guess fast forward to between now and 2012, uh, 2012 was when I met, um, my wife today. Um, and so I won't talk about her a lot because you know, <laughs> I don't need to talk about her at all actually. But the, the point is, you know, I was, I was more drawn, uh, kind of similar, I think, Christian, to what I heard in your story. I started getting drawn to more uh, liberal takes, more left-leaning takes on, the, on Christendom, um, and, but never like losing my, you know, adherence or kind of my devotion to many of the things that I just learned in my conservative, I guess, training, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, and so I, uh, you know, I, I became drawn to, I started making a lot of friends who were in what was considered more of the emergent, uh, church movement at the time that eventually some of those people turned more into what we would call progressive Christians today. So, you know, I'm, I'm very familiar with progressive takes on Christianity and, um, I just, you know, I couldn't, like you, Christian, I'm like, hey, you know, this apologetic stuff isn't really helpful for me anymore. And then some of the podcasts, you know, that I started listening to, like the liturgists, and there's another one out there called the deconstructionists that I was introduced to, interestingly enough, through the Bible Project, because Timothy Mackey went on um, to their podcast once, and he's been on there a couple times now. But anyway, um, you know, I just found that it wasn't it was helping me. Everything helped me to a certain point. And then I was just like, 
feel like I've, you know, squeezed all of the toothpaste out of this particular tube. And so I need, <laughs> I need another toothpaste or I need another, another rock to squeeze blood out of, I guess. And, um, I'm trying to remember, I've, I've told this to Paul before, but I'm, I'm failing on exactly where I think the first time that I had ever heard of Jordan Peterson was on the Bible project podcast. Uh, they didn't, they may have mentioned him by name, um, but they were just talking about the Bible and how to, uh, how maybe just looking at it as a story of like, you know, very profound literature. Um, and then they reference Peterson and his biblical series. And so that was the first time I had heard of him. And so that had kind of stuck in my brain, but I hadn't really done anything with it from there. I just, you know, it was just like a, a mental note that just automatically got made. And then the next time I remember seeing, the first time I ever saw Jordan Peterson, he was interviewing James Damore of Google, uh, the guy who got let go from Google because of his, um, mm. oh, it was that gender, I forget what it was. It was some type of a memo, internal memo that he had written at Google, um, mm. just talking yeah. about um, women in technology and what mm. things maybe could be done to increase women in technology. But he was also saying some things in there, you know, that, from a, either a more progressive or a secular left viewpoint could come off as looking very, you know, toxic <laughs> or radioactive or whatever. And so, you know, they didn't let him go. The point is, though, that um, Peterson interviewed him uh, on his channel and it popped up. And I just remember watching that interview and just feeling kind of irritated with Peterson. I've talked about this before. <laughs> Some of the people that I do the deepest dives into are people who I have a little bit of a irritation with the first time I come across them. So I was just like, I hate this guy's voice. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, and what's he doing talking to James Damore? It's like he's trying to get on these coattails or something like that. I don't know what he's doing. And so I watched it a little bit because I was, I was interested in what James Damore had to say. Um, so that was the first time I ever saw Peterson. I was just like, eh, you know, just another academic, you know. <laughs> I have a, coming out of a conservative background, I probably have a little bit of an anti-intellectual, anti-academic bent in me. Um, uh, so anyway, um, that was the first time I saw Peterson. And uh, I finally, at some point, just decided, all right, I'm going to check out, well, I had seen him on Dave Rubin after that. And so he ran down like his 12 rules on Dave Rubin. And I was just like, okay, these are kind of interesting, you know. And uh okay, I'm, I'm a little bit more interested in this guy. And then I went and started checking out his biblical series and I watched the very first one and I just found it fascinating. So I just plowed through the entire thing, um, either via a podcast or watching the videos, um, but just listened to a large segment of them. And I just really appreciated, you know, some of the different ways of looking at those biblical stories that he was able to present. Um, you know, just, just even looking at, at different things like symbolically, uh, I think it was particularly the Adam and Eve story and the story of the fall where he talked about, um, and I don't even think that this was his original idea. He just presented it. I think this was in a book that he read also where he talked about the fall being um, the dawning of human consciousness. Like maybe the, the creatures that existed didn't quite have what we know of as human consciousness or what we could approximate as human consciousness uh, in them prior to that fall. Um, and I know a, a literal reading of the Bible, you know, does not lend itself to that at all. But I just found looking at it in that different way is very fascinating. I like, I like things that spark the imagination. Um, 
And when I was younger, I used to have a lot of cognitive dissonance of if there were ideas that I liked, if I couldn't, like, if I couldn't back them up or I couldn't support them in a reasonable or logical way, I just felt really bad. I felt really, um, felt like I was doing something wrong. And as I've gotten older, I've started taking the approach of, well, even if I am doing something wrong, I'm not that concerned about it. <laughs> you know, I just, I like where the ideas take me. And the place where I sit is, you know, if I go in the wrong direction, I do feel like uh, there is a presence of God that will sometimes use very hard lessons, <laughs> but to steer me back into the right direction. And so Peterson obviously led me to Paul Vanderclay, the, the YouTube algorithm. Um, and so same reaction to Paul that I had to, to Jordan Peterson, which was, eh, I don't know, who is this guy talking to Jordan Peterson? Because that was the first video that it sent my way. It was like, you know, CRC pastor talks to Jordan Peterson. And I'm like, who is this? Why is a pastor talking to Jordan Peterson? Oh, who is this guy? And uh, so, of course, I start watching him some more, and I'm just like, huh, these are some really interesting ideas. That's really good. I like where he's going with this. And then I just, you know, I watched way more. Well, obviously, I watched all of almost all of Paul's conversations and certainly all of his um, non-Sunday uh, sermon preparation videos. Um, and so, yeah, I just really I appreciate Paul like you. Christian, like you said on your conversation with him, I'm a fan. <laughs> so anytime that he's put anything out, I'm trying to I'm trying to watch it as as I've been curating and you know trying to get videos posted on this new Randos United channel, I've found myself with a lot less time, <laughs> similar to what they, what I think Paul has mentioned that he has just as he started, you know, doing his own YouTube videos. I, I don't do haven't done any of my own videos. Um I'm still questioning whether I should try doing something because I feel like Randos United is more of a, a community effort. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to discourage people if they want to, you know, present things that they think will be helpful or meaningful to people. I want to put them up there, but you know, I, I have an idea of wanting to walk through one of my uh, favorite books and, and just putting it up there and seeing if any, if, if it's interesting to anyone, but anyway, I'm still, debating what the right thing to do is so anyway that's just that's probably more than you asked for but that's a little bit of, of my background no that's that's great that's uh, i mean <laughs> this conversation is probably going to be so much more entertaining to uh people that grew up christian <laughs> and uh than secular folks but uh, but maybe i don't know uh but there's a lot that i can kind of relate to in there um you know obviously you saw my um my conversation with paul but uh, basically my my spark note story is i grew up catholic um but kind of like secular catholic honestly like a, um but i grew up here in the bay area i'm actually i'm, I'm here in uh in um oakland area right now for the weekend i see the leaders pennant yeah yeah <laughs> right, got my you know, I'm rocking the Oakland A's shirt, but uh, but yeah, no, uh, yeah, we're big Oakland fans. <laughs> I know Cassidy's not, so we can kick her out if uh, she starts <laughs> acting out. But <laughs> I'm fine with the A's. I'm fine with the Warriors. I just can't support the Raiders. Oh. I'm sorry. That's okay. No, it's actually not okay. I'm kind of <laughs> gonna have to leave the room. They've had no. the Raiders have had a rough uh, couple weeks. They've had a rough 
uh, past 19 years, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. Well, them and the Cowboys. Moving to Vegas? They're moving to Vegas next year, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Are you So are you still living in Dallas? or? Yeah, I live just out, outside of the Dallas area, but I've been a, a sadly a Cowboys fan for my whole life. <laughs> There's been there have been some good times, but nobody that's you know ten years younger than me can remember them. <laughs> yeah, no, they're good. They're they're good now, but uh, I can't stand them just because yeah. it's America's team. But yep, you know, and I'm the the Raiders are anti America's team. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, so I, I grew up a, a Catholic, and um, so I, I very I was pretty, um, and I think this is where. You know, I, I kind of enjoy talking to Cassidy about some of these things, but we're, um, I missed out on the evangelical Christian culture, uh, the Joshua Harris purity culture, the, you know, Christian punk rock bands and uh, <laughs> all that stuff. I, I, I was uh, Veggie Tales. <laughs> I didn't watch Veggie Tales growing up, um, but um, I became an evangelical in college. You know, I had my Martin Luther tower moment, uh, my freshman year of college. I started going to a church that is heavily focused on the college age group. Uh, it's in a college town. I still go to the church. Um, but a lot, I, I began to make a lot of friends that did grow up in that, um, American evangelical Christian culture. Um, you know, Bible answer man and, Christian apologetics and so uh, celebrity pastors, um, yeah, the purity culture, you know, courtship instead of dating, no kissing, holding hands while you're dating, those kind of things. And when I became a Christian, um, I totally and, and I, obviously when I say that, I mean when I, you know, became an evangelical, I, um, I totally bought in. I dove right into it. Mm. Um, and it was not problematic for me. Um, and I guess it's, it's still not problematic for me, but, um, you know, I guess I'm sort of an outside observer to some extent, but I did experience it in my, you know, becoming an adult years. Now, you know, I'm going, I'm not, you know, I'm 26 going on 27 and, uh, I I, be, I dove into the um, liberal Christian side um, because I had a phase of doubting, uh, and, and I, I at this point in my life I can look back on my Catholic upbringing and I have a greater appreciation for the foundation it, it did lay in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. I don't. Um, my teaching growing up within within the, the Catholic church is, is not the same that it, it, I, I won't ever be able to look back and say, I got the same experience and fulfillment of surrendering my life to Christ, becoming an evangelical Christian, like actually entering into a personal relationship with Christ. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. That really did radically change my world, my world be my life. But, um, but, you know, like some of those, like, you know, the, the idea of spiritual formation, uh, if you're familiar with Dallas Willard at all, mm-hmm. um, that is very lacking <laughs> uh, in the kind of non-denominational culture. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but from, uh, and because of that, obviously that, that, um, so many evangelicals are, are leaving their faith and, and it's sad because it's sort of needless. Um, but, and I can't speak for everyone, but it really, in my phase of, you know, probably two years of doubting and almost honestly becoming like a, almost an atheist, like very almost being willing to call myself an atheist. I, um, um, I just couldn't do it. Um, but I was looking for kind of a way back to my early days of, of evangelical faith, um, where I was, you know, on fire for God and I was never quite able to get back there, but I'm definitely in more of a comfortable spot than, um, obviously my dark, my darkest, (laughs) my lowest low. Um, and I'll just, I mean, I can, you know, I can say like, uh, that was a scary place. Like, you know, near atheism. That's just, it, I don't know. I can't speak for, for atheists um, because I never, you know, identified in that camp, but it just, it, it was a dark place. It was, it was miserable. I was depressed. I was uh, filled with anxiety. Um, maybe that's just me, but I wanted to, I, I couldn't stay there. So yeah, I, I did go to the liberal Christians, but then um, when I, I did discover Jordan Peterson from uh, the Joe Rogan podcast, because uh, one of my hobbies is I'm actually a fighter, like, uh, or I'm, you know, a I'm a jujitsu guy, I guess, but, uh, you know, I wrestled my whole life, started fighting when I got in college. Uh, so obviously Joe Rogan appeals to fighters a lot. Yeah. And, um, uh, but I, you know, I have a ton of hobbies and I saw Jordan Peterson and he was talking to Joe Rogan about religion and the Bible. And I was like, okay, that was interesting. But, um, it was that clip where he was talking about, um, the difference between, the religious text being historically untrue, but metaphorically true. And I was like, okay, that's, that's C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. I've heard that somewhere. That's C.S. Lewis. Uh, so then I started looking up more Jordan Peterson videos and um, it's, it's, it's really a funny story. I don't really want to talk about it, but some of the things that I was drawn to Jordan Peterson about were not even uh, religious related. It was kind of at the time I was really struggling with my self-confidence Anyway, I'm not going to get into that, but I would be more than I'm, I'm open to it. Um, but then, yeah, uh, the YouTube algorithm spat out uh, Paul Vander Clay's videos and, and yeah, I started watching him. Uh, and then I, and then I met um, Cassidy at, at like a church thing not too long after that. And I told her about the videos and now she's obsessed. So that's, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure Christian regrets because I'm always telling me about it. Cause I was like, no, 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 I'm glad. He's like, no. <laughs> That's one of my that's one of my favorite um, things on Paul's channel is one of the conversations that you had Cassidy with him. I think it was your second one where you said, "I don't even really get Jordan Peterson. It's just a bunch of gobbledygook." <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I said that directly. But, um... Cassidy, the reality is, it is, it is. But us men love gobbledygook. <laughs> well. I mean, I guess, I guess I can kind of talk about my story and then sort of talk about Jordan Peterson because I don't, I don't think it's all garbage. I just, I don't know. Well, anyways, I have a very similar. I'm gonna get my headphones really quick, Cassidy. That's okay. Um, I have very similar upbringing to Jeff, where I started. 
Well, the first church that I, I, I was born in a Christian family, but my parents were not born in Christian families. So my dad came to God in college. He like was, he would consider himself an agnostic, but he was dating a Christian girl and like kept arguing with her about, you know, faith. And he was very open to other religious ideas and other spirituality. But when it came to Christianity, he just had this animosity to it. And yeah, he was like a big sort of pothead LSD guy in college. So eventually he came to the point where he decided like, oh, okay, well, either Jesus is God or there is no God. And then sort of went from there. And then my mom, she, I mean, her family considered themselves Christian. And for a good while, they would go to church and it was sort of healthy, but sort of as she grew up, um, her dad fell into alcoholism and it became a very uh, abusive household. And so she kind of grew up in that. Um, but I, I don't know, I guess she would consider herself Christian, but didn't, didn't live that like typical, like squeaky clean Christian life. It was very uh, hard. But anyways, she went off to college at Liberty and my dad was there because he transferred to Liberty after he became a Christian and that's where they met. So I always find it funny when Paul talks about liberty because, like, I have my own little stories about liberty, which are really funny. But that's where my parents met. And um, yeah, and Peterson's yeah. been there too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was so interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, liberty. I have so many funny stories about my parents at Liberty. But anyway, so I'll go into that. Anyway, so they, that's where they met and sort of, I think, took on. I think it did help them going to Liberty to kind of understand Christianity, but they were only there for about a year and then transferred. My mom moved back to Phoenix and they went to GCU and ASU and whatever. So I grew up in a very solid Christian home. Um, when I first started going to church, we went to a mega church here in um, Arizona called Calvary. But pretty quickly after maybe about when I was five, we, switched over to a church plant from Calvary um, that started off sort of normal, but as it went on, just became very legalistic. Um, like women couldn't speak in church and they got super involved in people's family planning. And, um, you know, like my mom always talks about it. It's like a frog slowly being boiled where you don't realize all of a sudden that you know, things are just going apart. And towards the end, the head pastor fired all of his accountability and was like moving towards this thing that wasn't healthy. And my parents basically walked away and stepped away. And because they did, most of the other people left. It was just a very small church. Um, and from there, we went to like another sort of bigger church, Scottsdale Bible, and then ended up moving to a different plant there. But it was... I guess it's evangelical. Um, it's non-denominational. Um, but those churches were never really about the Great Commission as much as the church that we're in now, where it's, you know, really about reaching out. It was just more like you come and church is what you do. And, um, oh, I hate to say it because it sounds like, <laughs> it sounds awful, but it was very much like a middle class sort of white culture. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of I mean, there's some diversity, but not a lot of diversity and just sort of, it could come off as sort of a lukewarm thing where it's like, we go to church because that's what we've always known. And like, um, the hunger for faith wasn't always there in, in everyone. 
Um, but I, I sort of came to faith in that. It, it's funny because I was not very rebellious, like comparatively, but I was the rebellious kid who like did bad at school. Like I'm not doing drugs. I'm not like partying or anything, but like, I'm, you know, not doing my homework and just like <laughs> lying about all this stuff. And so, um, yeah, it's, it, it wasn't until I was 18 where like faith became a real thing to me um, where I was like, oh, wow, I am living sort of this lukewarm thing where I say this is what I believe, but that's not what I'm doing. And so I kind of went to the point where I was like, well, maybe I'll just try this because I'm just not feeling fulfilled in what I'm doing. So I, I did, and it changed my life. And um, just reading through the book of Acts, because um, like when I sort of started that, I went through and read the whole Bible. And when I got to the books of Acts and I'm reading that and I'm just saying, why does this look so different to like church now? Mm. Like, where's the disconnect here? And um, sort of through that, trying to kind of understand, well, what is church supposed to be um, and how, how that is. And I mean, through some of the experiences in those non-denominational churches, I did get experience with sort of more Pentecostal or charismatic traditions. Um, I wouldn't say that those churches were, um, but I got through them, got in contact with churches that were like that. Um, so that was sort of my first experience there. And then when I moved to the Bay Area, I stopped going to church. Um, not because not I didn't believe in God, but it was just this idea of like, what does it mean to be, what does it mean to be the church outside of a building? because that's what I've always known. Like I've grown up and lived in a church. And so I just started talking with other people, engaging in conversations, um, learning how people thought. And it was really interesting. And I kept doing that in Australia when I moved there. And um, yeah, definitely got in touch with a lot of atheists. And it came to the point where I, I just really needed to realize like, hey, I could be wrong about this. And I don't want to be deluded. If atheism is true, I want to believe that. And if I really am going to go out and share, like, the good news with people, like, I want to make sure it's real. Like, I don't want to just be standing for something that isn't true because there's lots of people who do that. Like, I, I've talked to a lot of Mormons. And, like, because I, I, I did a, a mission this summer where we did, um, like, on-campus evangelism and stuff. And I would always talk to some of like the, are my evangelism partners in this line. If a more, two Mormons came up here and started talking to us, we're both trying to convince each other that we're true about God and religion. But we know that that can't be true, that both of us are correct because they're just so different. So before you can ever think that you're going to convince them that you're true, you have to at least be willing to concede that they might be true and listen to them and know why you don't believe. And so that was sort of um, the place that I got. So I never became an atheist. And I wouldn't say I was close, but I definitely went through that sort of anxiety and that existential crisis. Um, and I would not say I'm a very anxious person, especially since I became a Christian. There wasn't a lot of anxiety. Um, but through that process and kind of seeing all of that change, there was a lot of anxiety and pressure and um, yeah, just sort of digging with apologetics to get to the point where I could say, I just really don't think this is true. Not because I want it to be because it, you know, it isn't. And so, um, yeah, I just spent a lot of time just text, 
testing my assumptions and connecting with people. <laughs> and I, I always say like, when I was in Australia, I almost taught myself how to evangelize without realizing that's what it was like evangelism, like evangelical culture was never really in my vocabulary. Like it just wasn't something that I could identify. And still I have trouble identifying what it actually is. Um, like in a, in a strict definition. Um, but anyways, when I came back to Arizona, uh, I was in a, you know, I was in a pretty weird place and just knew that like, I need to get, get connected back in a church again, because just doing the no, no church thing was not helpful. So I, I hopped around to a couple different churches and the, the church that I had grown up in just wasn't, I just didn't feel like it was a place that I could grow in. And I, I was actually engaged to somebody and who I grew up with in that church. And so it was just a weird vibe of like old stuff and new stuff and just the, the dynamics there. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. So hopped around to a different, couple different churches and um, my sister recommended um, Hope, the church that me and Christian go to, because um, she she went there when she was in college, and um, I just really liked the people, and I liked a lot of the core of what they do, um, just what they what they want to stand for. I I can really uh, agree with some of those things, and so I've been there for a while, and um, it's been an interesting transition of like being outside a church for so long and seeing. It what atheists think about church and then also being in a church. And um, I think sometimes when we're grown, if we grow up in these cultures, we have all of these words and these, um, yeah, these sayings that we understand, we think, but <laughs> sometimes it's like, do we even know what we're saying? And mm -hmm. like, nobody else knows what we're saying. And so it's just been a struggle, but I, you know, I, I found so much life in it. And I think, um, as far as my issues with the evangelical culture, um, there is something to that idea of like seeing people really take God and making it more of a relationship, just an idea and seeing that power change their lives. It's, yeah, it's just sort of addicting to see that and see people actually change. Yeah. Um, so, and, and like, to piggyback off what you just said, Cassidy, if there's one thing that I learned from, from watching Paul's material and, and hearing these conversations is that I don't even know what I'm saying now. <laughs> well, that's, I think you're right. I think none of us know what we're actually saying and I'm okay with that. Well, and yeah, I mean, I think that that's just part of, you know, any culture, any, um, any group that you're part of, you have sayings that the out groups just not going to understand. And like, we say things and don't totally understand what we're saying. Like, and that's okay to a point, I guess. But like, we also should understand what we're saying, like, because we give words meaning, but words also have direct meaning. And I, I just, it's always hard because I hear these religious words and people saying things. I'm like, what does that mean? You're just saying something because you heard someone else say it and now you're just repeating it and like not only is it not helpful to the community if we're just saying words we don't understand that's not helpful to the people coming outside of that um so i don't know it's just interesting 
Um, yeah, and, and tell me your thoughts on this, Jeff, but I think that's one of the first things that actually appealed to me about uh, Jordan Peterson, particularly, is, um, and you know, when I first heard him on the Joe Roman podcast, and he, he gives a definition of God. Mm-hmm. And I think for, for a lot of us uh, that were coming from a, the Christian camp or maybe a conservative camp, American, you know, um, we never actually thought of how loaded of a question that is. Like if we were to talk, you know, communicate our, uh, our faith to a secular person of like, you know, the word God, like you do, you know, do you believe in God? Like, I never once thought of like what that even means. You have these apologists debating these atheists, like about whether God exists or not. It's like, well, no, like they, they never actually start their arguments without defining what they mean by God. And if they do, it's always some, it's always the fundamentalist depiction of God or what they think that is. Mm-hmm. And, sadly sometimes you know William when Craig will defend that or sometimes he doesn't address it at least but um but yeah I don't know but that was helpful to me you know for me kind of reconstructing my faith I listen to the deconstructionist deconstructionist as well but for me to reconstruct Mm -hmm. um defining God was important for my you know my archetypes yeah it's really oh oh, sorry sorry, Cassie it's really funny that you say that because I had I have a lot of atheist friends. I work in entertainment and just going through that journey. People like talking to me about this stuff, but I had an atheist friend send me that definition of Jordan Peterson talking about what he believed God was. And he's like, this is ridiculous. Like this doesn't even make any sense. And I was like, well, actually like from a Christian perspective, it it sort of makes some sense. Like I think that I can't even remember what the definition definition was, but like, it was like, that's a piece of it. It's not the whole thing, but like, that makes sense to me. And he's like, why, what do you mean? That's not what Christians believe about God. I'm like, well, I am a Christian. So uh, it is what I believe about God. But like, there are so many people who have these ideas of what Christians believe, which are just not true. And then on the other side, there's lots of Christians who don't know what they believe as well, but like they, they, they have all of these, this language and you, there is truth that you're seeing a lot of evangelicals walking away from faith, especially the ones who grew up in it. But I think the big issue is you've, you've had a whole generation of kids being told what to believe, but not why, and never really explaining the deeper meaning and helping them figure out what they believe themselves is just like, this is the prepackaged thing. This is what you should believe. And I don't think that all churches don't allow questioning. And I think even some of the churches that have this vibe, like you can't question things or probably it's probably just our own sense of it. But there is, um, I think, especially for some people, there's this fear. Like if, if they start questioning, then like they're, going to throw it out so they try to stop the questioning and say just believe just trust and it's like that's not what biblical faith is that's not what this was ever meant to be but that's what we're sort of taught <laughs> what we need to believe and yeah it's hard I just don't think there's a lot of nuance and sort of gray area when we're talking about evangelical culture it's like this is the truth um <laughs> and like yeah it's just a I don't know I have a lot of struggles with it because I think a lot of churches 
you go into this idea of like, we have the corner on like capital T truth, but that's, that's not necessarily true. Like, do I think a lot of the things that we believe are true? Absolutely. But each doctrine has its own issues. And like, if we're, if like, if we're prideful enough to say that everything that I believe at this current moment is a hundred percent true mm-hmm. because I believe in God, you're crazy. Like you're so prideful and deluded. Like you obviously yeah. believe the wrong things. Like we should be searching for truth. And there are some people just talking from people outside that they stand for very truthful things, even if they don't have like the God answer figured out. Yeah. I mean, and I still do want to hear your, your thoughts on that, Jeff, the, the other question, but <laughs> sorry. I mean, I would think that if you're leading a church, if you're a pastor, um, it would probably be, I, I'd say that's why I, I get what you're saying there, Cassidy, with the, you know, there, there needs to be more humility from, from the church, at least on, on these issues. But um, I, I would think it would just be kind of hard to lead a congregation if you don't have that sort of posture of certainty, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm putting my, you know, I'm planting my flag in the ground here and I'm, I'm going to stand by it. Like, and I think a lot of people are drawn to that because, um, you know, because they want to be led, you know, if you're a pastor, you're, you you want to lead people. Um, same time you have secular pastors, you know, from all, from all, you know, all over the world or from all areas of life want to do the same thing and, and they're opposing. So I think that's where, uh, you know, that causes problems as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not a person that says that you can't be certain about certain things, but like, I think it just becomes hard where where's that balance? Like, cause I think C.S. Lewis talks about it. Like what do all churches sort of agree on? And we can stand by that, hmm. but be able to say, this is what I believe. But again, like, um, like, I don't know how to say it. I just think sometimes there is just too much of wanting certainty and things that, you know, we can't be totally certain of. And it makes it hard for people to be able to change their mind about sort of secondary doctrine. Yeah. That's something that I've struggled with um, probably over the last five or six years is, you know, how do I parse out what's secondary and what's primary? And um, I I think... (laughs) I'm almost getting to the place where it's just like, I don't, I don't really care <laughs> anymore. Um, and like what are some of those things you don't care about? Like the second, uh, yeah. it's almost the questions themselves that just don't interest me anymore. Um, now there will be some days where I'll get very irritated, you know, and my, my conservative evangelical roots will, you know, flare up and, um, I'll just, I just might get aggravated by something. Um, but maybe a, maybe a good example of this uh, where people can go listen if they want to is um, Justin Brierley has that podcast, Unbelievable. And he recently had on Lisa Gunger, who 
you know, is married to Michael Gunger, one of the liturgist podcast hosts. And they I listen to that. Yeah. Been part of that band. And Lisa Gunger was on there. And so was Lisa, Lisa, I forget her last name, but Childers. What's her last name? Childers. Childers. Elisa yeah. Childers uh, from the Christian band Zoe Girl. So, you know, you got these two people who have been very successful in the contemporary Christian um, machine music industry. Um, are relatively successful. And I, you know, if you put a gun to my head and said, you know, which of these two are you more in spirit with or in league with, it would probably be Lisa Gunger. But I was most annoyed by the, I, w- I was annoyed by everything, almost everything that both of them said I disagreed with. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I would be curious to hear, um, yeah. Oh, we oh. lost Christian. <laughs> He's gone. Go, the, the, the technology gods didn't want to hear what Christian had to say. <laughs> or didn't want anybody else to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, I find that interesting because I, I tend to be in that place where I can understand both sides. Yes. And so I totally get that idea of like, oh, I'm annoyed at you, but I'm also so annoyed at you. Yeah. So stop talking. <laughs> that like... Um, I don't know. It's just so interesting because I think ultimately I'm a big believer in freedom of speech and allowing people like the open marketplace to help sift through ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I'm never going to be like, cause there's so many, there's so many conservative sects that are like, we need to stop Rob Bell. He's speaking heresy or whatever. I'm like, <laughs> just let him speak. Like, I think a lot of the stuff he says is trying to placate to the culture and trying to, like, make something true mm-hmm. that it's not. But I think there are good things that are coming out of that yeah. in some ways. Um, there's, a, there's a big fear in certain um, conservative sects of uh, Christianity, SETS, uh, where people are, hey, can you hear us, Christian? I, I can't. I don't know why my computer wanted it to shut down, but I told it no. So. <laughs> yeah, actually, now that I think about it, like I have an old version of Windows on this laptop, and from time to time when I'm in the middle of something important, it just shuts down and starts doing updates. And people have told me, you know, you can change that in the settings. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but the only time I think about it is when it happens to me, and then I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm crossing my fingers hoping that that doesn't happen now. Um, but yeah, Christian, before we got disconnected, you were you were saying something. Yeah, I wanted to know what you thought about that podcast. And and yeah. I listened to that as well. I love unbelievable podcasts. It's some it's so cheesy and and I shouldn't love it, but I kinda do. So Well uh, so that particular podcast, because that has a couple of different thoughts. You know, I also I also listen to uh, Justin Briley, who was on Think Club with Adam Friended, because um, Esther. Oh, you shared, did. Esther shared. Yeah. I want to. I want to. Yeah, share share a link with that uh, with me. I want to. Yeah, I'll put that in. I'll put that in here. But um, yeah, I'll, I might come back to that. One of the things that just kind of dawned on me that it dawned on me years ago, but it was just it re- it reminded me of it listening to that conversation. But as far as uh, his podcast with Lisa Gunger and. Um, well, I'll just call it, I'll just call him Gunger and Zoe Girl. <laughs> um, particular things, I, I probably have to go back and listen to it again, but 
you know, one, one of the things that I do want to say before I get into, I mean, I, I don't really feel like, you know, talking about the things that I disagreed with or anything like that, but there were things where I was just like, eh, I just don't identify with, with you on most of what you're saying. But the thing that I do identify with out of both of them is, you know, they're both in a place where they feel like um, they have advanced in some way in their journey, where they felt like they've, they've moved forward a little bit. And I don't want to stop anybody from doing that. You know, if they feel like they are moving forward in their journey of existence, um, then let them, let them go where they need to go. You know, um, like I said, I, I do lean more in the direction of where Lisa Gunger is, but I can't, I can't say that I could, I could, it feels like, you know, she's kind of off in, um, nowhere land <laughs> a little bit. Um, and that's, that's okay. If that's where she honestly is, I want to let her be there until she finds what she needs to find. Right. Um, and if it's, if it's a more stable place than what she's ever had before, you know, when she talked about her upbringing and some of the things that were going on with her parents and what they were saying to each other, I'm just like, man, that makes sense that you just could not feel comfortable <laughs> to stay right. in a, a place of looking at God, you know, in that way. And um, the thing that Elisa, who's with Zoe Girl, you know, some of the things that she seemed to be talking about, it's just like she's, it's still, she's, it still sounds like she's trying to approach, to use a, a Paul Vanderclayism. she's trying to approach things from the spirit of geometry. And that's one of my issues with, I guess apologetics is, you know, you, you cannot ultimately arrive at God with a spirit of geometry. You just can't get there. It's not going to happen. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I told Job that I think is true. I said, I, I don't think that you're going to be able to reason your way to God number two. I, I don't think that you can make that leap. You know, there's this Lessing's ditch or Lessing's gulch that's talked about, and it's just, I can't even remember the the pure definition of it anymore, but it's it's something along the lines of you know you have empiric you have empirical empiricism over here, and then you have um, things that are outside of the realm of what empiricism can even measure over here, and those yeah. in my mind those two things will never be married until and this is where I have to go to a Christian framework until the culmination of history until. You know, it's like, it's what Paul said to you in your conversation with him, Christian. You know, he's starting to see from Jordan Peterson that everything has to work on every level. It's like, you know, the, the story verse and the mythopoetic. Those are all true. Those are all true in, in a deep sense. They're not true in the same way that empirical and things that can be measured empirically are true. But there is a reality where all of those things are married together that we just cannot conceive of right now. And that's what I, that's what I think just from an imaginative, I cannot prove this in any empirical scientific sense, but that's what I think the resurrection and the quote unquote physical resurrection of Christ is about. I've told, I can't remember who I told this to, but I, you know, like I said in Paul's video, since nobody asked, I'll tell you what I think the physical resurrection is. <laughs> I think I think the physical resurrection is a phenomenon that even if we had the tools at the time are to measure things empirically like we do today scientifically, 
It wouldn't even register with our instruments. If you went to Christ's, you know, physical body, that the story says that that um, doubting Thomas, you know, stuck his fingers in and saw the nail holes, you know, I don't think that that body is anything like the bodies that we're inhabiting today. You know, I I don't think you you probably could not take an accurate measurement and even necessarily say with our instruments that there's a body there. Yeah, he could touch it. Yeah, he could. But in that story, it's also walking through doors, you know? <laughs> it's eating food, yes, but it's also passing through physical, empirical substances. So it's, it's, it's a mysterious, crazy, unbelievable, awesome story that only my imagination can grab onto ultimately and i am becoming more and more okay with that as i get older um and as i get as i just have more experience in life and maybe i'm having the wrong experiences maybe you know if i sat down with william lane craig he would be like jeff yeah i appreciate that you're being honest about this but you don't have to go in this direction. We can prove all of these things ontologically and, you know, all of his, all of his different approaches. And I, I respect, you know, what he does, but there's, there's just a place where it doesn't go far enough for me. Because when you get with a pure empiricist, a thoroughgoing materialist, as Lewis likes to say, um, there is nothing that you can say on their frame of reality that will ultimately help them understand that, uh, that will help them see that. I can't take the tools that you're asking me to use to, to prove this thing. By the very nature of what it is that we are claiming to exist, or I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not even trying to claim it. I'm not trying to prove it to anyone. I'm just trying to tell you what my experience is and what my life is and share my story. And if that's appealing to you or if you're interested in it, great. I'll tell you as much as I know or as much as I can share about it. But that's as far as I go. And maybe it's a, it's a limitation in my intellectual capacity, but it's, a, it's as far as I can go. And just one last point, you know, whenever I was in church, whenever I was young um, in my youth group, uh, we would have things where we would go out and they would say, all right, we're going witnessing this Sunday. And we go out on street corners and try to, you know, ask people if they were saved and things like that. And I just never, I've never felt comfortable with evangelizing in that way. I felt much more comfortable in evangelizing with living the most Christ-like life that I can or the most Logos-aimed life that I can. And if people find something of meaning in that and they are interested I feel like this is kind of like my dating life when I was young. Hey, if you like me and you're interested in me, you know, approach me. <laughs> but I just, I, I don't feel like I could ever prove anything like that to anyone with the apologetics type proofs. And yeah. C.S. Lewis is a little bit different, you know, and it's something that he kind of yeah. stopped doing and he made more of the direct, the move, the pivot toward doing what he was doing with fiction instead of apologetics type works. And so, you know, I have, I have a high admiration and a high respect for, Lewis, and he's, he's much better at apologetics than even any people that I've seen, in, in my estimation, uh, contemporary apologists that are out there today. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what my point with all of that was. But, oh, I said one last thing, but one more. Uh, you had asked me about Peterson and what, you know, if, I, if, if that was appealing to me. The thing that's, that's most appealing to me about Peterson, um, and Luke even said this too, is, you know, he's not answering the resurrection question. 
And Luke says, good. I hope he never does. Um, the thing I respect, the thing that I appreciate about Peterson's project is people are able to hear him who cannot hear Christian evangelical apologists, who cannot hear people who are, who are speaking Christianese. They just cannot hear it. Um, you know, somebody like Adam Frendon, you know, he, he hears and understands everything that, that Peterson is saying. Um, he doesn't identify as a Christian. He still identifies as an atheist. And I think, I think where he is on his journey, that's okay, you know. But the, the point being is the thing I like most about Peterson is he is speaking to people and he is presenting God to people, whatever their understanding of God is or lack of understanding or disbelief in any type of God whatsoever. And he's presenting that to people in a compelling way where they find it interesting and they're actually starting to journey towards that. And, you know, my biggest uh, example of this that I'm, you know, familiar with is Job from Paul's channel. Yeah. You know, he still can't accept the physical resurrection. It, it's, 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 it's impossible. It's an impossibility. And I understand where he's coming from. And so, you know, people like Esther, who I've, I've had conversations with, and I respect her a great deal as well. You know, she's going to do as much of the um, apologetics and trying to prove what she can for the um, probability of God. But, and I'm probably, Esther, if you're watching this, you know, I apologize. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying it in the best ways. But I, I respect people who are going that route as well. And go as far as you can with that for people who it helps. If it's yeah. helping them find more meaning, you know, to use some different language, if it's finding people out, if it's helping people find their way out of nihilism. And ultimately, you know, the thing, the thing that gets me, that, that gets me most excited is when people find hope and helping people find hope and find life. Uh, that's that's what's most important to me, and that's what I like most about Peterson is he is helping dead people come to life. Yeah, go ahead, Cassidy. I mean, it's just interesting because I I totally get the criticisms of William Lane Craig. The, the <laughs> and I don't time... need to criticize him myself. I'm not. I'm not. I don't have any critiques to offer. You know, to William. Well, Lane the first time I saw William Lane Craig. I was so annoyed with him. You're so <laughs> pompous and like, get out of here. And then I, I slowly, when I started getting into debates and just like watching debates to really kind of give each person an equal shot. What I liked about William Lane Craig is that he, he was able to tell you exactly what he thought and walk you through exactly how you got there. Whether you believe it or not, like he has clear points and he was very like, it was just a lot of like, it wasn't a lot of fluff and like roundabout talking like this is it and this is how I got there and I could sit and watch it and follow and be like okay and I think what William Lane Craig will say it's like it's these proofs are not one thing gives you like 100% certainty it's this right. cumulative case yeah. that like maybe this gives you like 30% level of doubt or whatever but like ultimately when it comes down to it um you have to look at every single aspect of the world and come to an understanding of what makes the most sense and look to where that's pointing. You're never going to have a hundred percent certainty, but if something is true, 
the evidence should point that way. And mm -hmm. there may be some uncertainty about that, but if we keep searching through the evidence and pointing to what's true, um, you'll eventually, you know, get a clearer picture. Maybe we'll, and we'll never get the whole picture because if we did, we'd be gods ourselves and that's just impossible. Um, but from him, coming from a Christian perspective that started as very experiential, it wasn't all of this evidence and all of this stuff. The idea of a God never bothered me. The idea that Jesus rose from the dead, like it didn't even, like that didn't even like seem weird. Cause I was just like, yeah, that's, that's what happened. But then you get to the point of like, wow, that is like a big claim. And so, I mean, even William Lane Craig will say himself, there is like, um, one of his arguments is that believing in God is a properly basic belief that I can believe in God because that's what I sense to believe. Just like I believe that, you know, history, the way that time works in history or, yeah. you know, that, you know, that I'm not a, like a brain being probed. Like there are certain properly basic beliefs that we can believe without, without having to have all this excess evidence. Yeah. And so I think because he is just so robotic and like all about evidence, it can come to the point where he doesn't think that experience is important. But the more that I've learned about him, that's just not true. But I think there is some truth into the idea of like, if we're believing what's true, the evidence should point that way. And like, because if it's just experience, then what makes my faith different than a, a Muslim or a Mormon? Well, I can tell you why I don't believe in Islam or Mormonism. And it's not just, belief in the Holy Spirit telling me, even though I do believe that there is truth in the Holy Spirit revealing things and working through us, but it's historical proofs. It's theological contradictions. It's um, archaeological things that we can see to help kind of understand how true these documents are. Um, and while I'll say, I, no, I still have so many questions and there are still things that I have to work with, but the longer that I go through it, the more that Christianity does seem to be true to me. And like, even in my prayer life, I'm not just sitting trying to confirm my own beliefs. I'm like, you know, God, if I'm believing something untrue, just show me. Mm. And I think through that, like he has, cause there are Christian things that I believed that I thought were true and then realized, Oh, I had a wrong idea of what the Bible actually says about that. And like, I think it just takes time. And that's why I'm really, I like being able to have people openly say, I'm an atheist and I believe in that. Because if that's what you really believe, then I, I'd rather, I respect that more than saying these Christians who have so many doubts and don't really believe in Christianity, but they claim to be a Christian because that's what they knew. Like, I'd rather just have you say exactly what you believe. And that includes progressive Christians, Muslims, Mormons. Like, that's the only way we're ever going to get to truth is being really honest about what we actually believe and be willing to say, just because I believe something is true doesn't mean that it actually is. Hmm. Hey, I, I've got to pause you for just a second. Okay, I'm sorry. I had to pause for a second there. We've got about five minutes, maybe a little bit less or a little bit less left. So I didn't know if there was anything that we wanted to to close this out with. I thought it's, I think it's been a really good conversation. I've really liked talking to you guys. Yeah. And I'd love to do this again. I, I, I wanted to comment on that Cassidy, because I remember that was one of your first hangups with this whole sort of uh, Jordan Peterson fanboy club that, that me and Jeff joined in on. But, 
and, and, and PVK. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I know that William Lane Craig is, is pretty misunderstood when it comes to this, you know, kind of evidentialism, apologetics game. And, 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 and honestly, now um, where, you know, after all, you know, you know, from, from all the learning that I've crammed in the last uh, few years, I can, I can kind of see, I, I understand um, where the criticism is now. And, and, you know, he's actually said, um, you know, William Lane Craig, that he's not an evidentialist. Um, but I think the problem is like Christian apologetics and modern Christian apologetics, it doesn't quite come as advertised, you know, it kind of, uh, presents itself and advertises itself as this uh, tool that that utilizes reason to force um, non-believers to you know bend the knee to reason uh, yeah. you know you have to follow the evidence the evidence is in our favor believe what we believe um, but you know going deeper than that once you know that that quote from Pascal really um, it's really true. Like um, people who are leaving Christian evangelical faith and now have some weird new age combo blend of Buddhist ideology or whatever, you know, the new age stuff, they're not, those people don't believe that based on reason or truth or historical, uh, Ver reliability or you know verifying any text they don't even have text um right. they believe it because it's appealing right um and that's what i really need to understand with my own faith is that christianity is i believe it's the most appealing worldview um yes i i i um i think there's a place for you know talking about historicity and talking about texts and, and, and those kind of things. I think it's, but, um, but I'm not really going to do a whole lot of, I'm not really going to be able to do a whole lot with beating people over the head with that. It's just not, it's not quite as effective as, as uh, it advertises itself to be. Um, right. But yeah, I think the problem with it is it is used as this thing where it's like, there's no one can ever doubt it or whatever, but I think William Lane Craig talks about it. There's emotional reasons to believe things and intellectual reasons to believe things. And that's the same with Christianity. Like I have to wrestle with the fact that I do find Christianity appealing and it helps me. And that could bias me into seeing evidence pointing in the way yeah. that I want it to. Um, yeah. And it's funny cause I, I've had conversations with Esther O'Reilly and, um, as much as she's talked about, because we've talked about this a little bit, and she's like, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to get into that evidence stuff and talk about all of, like, the proof. But sometimes people just want to hear that God loves them, and that's what they need to hear. <laughs> and it's like, as much as we can push this down, it doesn't, they're just, that's not what they want to hear, just to hear that God could love them. It's like a whole new world for them. That's appealing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, you should probably wrap up, huh? Yep. So I'll go ahead and uh, end the recording here. But yeah, thanks, you guys. But stick around for just a second. I'll uh, end it now. Until next time. Bye, everybody.